This is Inside Geneva. I'm your host, Imogen Folks, and this is a Swiss Info production. In today's program... People going missing, families getting separated, families not knowing what has happened to their loved ones. Calling from the ICRC, I'm calling from Geneva, and this is a central tracing agency. As of last week, he was safe and well, is healthy. 25% of calls every day, they are starting or they are finishing by trying, you know. Exchanging news between the families, exchanging news between the prisoners of war, making sure that the families know what had happened to their relative. Hello and welcome again to Inside Geneva. I'm Imogen Folks. Now, some of our listeners may know that every year on August 30th, we mark the Day of the Disappeared, designed to draw attention to the plight of families the world over who are looking for loved ones. Perhaps they've gone missing in war, perhaps in natural disaster. Perhaps they set off full of hope for a better life in another country and weren't heard of again. Today, We're going to have an in-depth chat with the International Committee of the Red Cross about the challenges faced by the families of the missing, and we're going to get a behind-the-scenes look inside the ICRC's Central Tracing Agency, reuniting those missing in the Russia-Ukraine conflict, including prisoners of war. My name is Florence Anselmo, and I work here in the International Committee of the Red Cross in Geneva as the head of the Central Tracing Agency. We'll start by hearing from Florence Anselmo, head of the Tracing Agency, who told me first how the needs of the missing and their families are sometimes neglected in the heat of war. Very often, the issue of people going missing is an issue that is overlooked in the humanitarian uh, sector and generally speaking in the general public. You know, this is an invisible issue. The missing, you know, by definition are, are not visible. And when we think of, uh, of humanitarian needs uh, uh, created by armed conflict or other situations requiring a humanitarian response, we think water, we think shelter, we think uh, relief, uh, but we don't think missing persons. And in fact, uh, what we observe in our operations across the world, be it in armed conflict or in other situations of, for instance, natural, natural disasters or migration or other situations of, of violence, is that a very common occurrence is people going missing, families getting separated, families not knowing what has happened to their uh, loved ones. Since war began, these workers of the Red Cross Society have packed 6,000 tons of parcels for prisoners of war. At an American Red Cross packing center, parcels of food for allied prisoners of war in German camps are prepared in large quantities for ship... When we talk about the missing, a lot of people, certainly in Europe, think of the two world wars and Red Cross postcards... Can you tell me a little bit about that? Is that how the Red Cross first got started in, in this work? So, yes. So basically, our founder, if we really go to the origin, our founder, Henri Dunant, on the battlefield in Solferino, met a young corporal who was dying. And he knew he was dying. And he had one request to Henri Dunant. He said, please, please tell my parents what happened to me and please console my mother. 
And this is what Henri Dunant did. Uh, it turned out that this uh, young man had volunteered uh, to go to, to, to war. He was the only son and he was on the list of the missing uh, soldiers. And so without this gesture, they would have never known what had happened to him. Uh, not long uh, after that, the ICRC started exchanging lists of prisoners of war. And that's really where this neutral intermediary role of the International Committee of the Red Cross started, across front line to pass information uh, between the parties to a, to a conflict. And this took a dimension uh, way bigger during First World War and Second World War, based on the request of the families themselves to know uh, the fate of their, uh, of their loved one. During the Second World War, eventually it Changed and registered uh, 36 million index uh, card. Uh, yeah, it's a huge amount. And every time there's what we call an international armed conflict right, between two states, the Central Tracing Agency starts its work. So you're doing that now with Russia and Ukraine. Yeah, so... Um Basically, uh, with time, uh, the, the, the legal framework evolved uh, and this became, this, this uh, role became officially uh, rooted in the Geneva Convention of 1949 and also the first additional protocol of 1977. And it gives specifically this role of neutral intermediary and transmitter of information between the parties to the CTA of the ICRC, the Central Tracing Agency within the, uh, uh, within the ICRC. It also gives obligations to, uh, to states. So states have an obligation to uh, set up national information bureaus about those fallen in their hands, be they combatants or civilians, to centralize this information, to pass it on uh, to the other party, to the other side, through the Central Tracing Agency. This is one of those things that it's worth the while of every warring party to comply with, because it means they get information about their guys as well. Indeed. Um, so you point out a very important element. On one hand, you could think it's a fragile system because it relies on the willingness of the parties to the conflict to transmit this information. On the other hand, uh, those who have signed the, the Geneva Convention also have understood that they indeed have an interest in doing so. Uh, they will get the information on their own servicemen. And of course, you know, states also have an interest in having their own populations, and in this case, the families of the servicemen, know what happened and, and uh, better informed on their situations. You have said you don't have access to all the POWs in this current Russia-Ukraine conflict. I guess you're still working on that. You expect to have access to all of them. Yes, we expect to have access to all prisoners of war because this is a right that we have in situations of international armed conflict. The aim is to protect those who are called the protected persons under the, the Geneva uh, uh, Conventions, and uh, at the same time provide answers to their anxious families. And information, getting information, is absolutely uh, critical. So there is one layer that is about the parties to the conflict providing information 
as soon as possible to the central tracing agency that protects the person that it has fallen into enemy hands. Because at this point in time, his name and his location and some elements about his uh, uh, situation are known to someone else than uh, the, the, the enemy. It will be known by his state of origin, it will be known by the ACRC, and ultimately it will be known by their families. But it is also very important that adds a layer of protection if the ICRC, of course, can go and visit itself and check on the conditions and the, treat the conditions of detention and the treatment of, of prisoners of war. And it is important for the prisoners of war themselves, but it is also very important to the, to the families. It makes a huge difference to know that an international organization has seen their son, for instance. According to the Kremlin, this is the last group of exhausted and deflated Ukrainian troops walking out of the Azovstal steelworks. Russia's defense ministry released footage on Wednesday of what it claims are wounded Ukrainian soldiers from a besieged steel plant in the city of Maripol. When a war between states begins, what the Red Cross calls an international armed conflict, those fighting are obliged under the Geneva Conventions to inform the ICRC about the prisoners of war they hold. Now, high in the hills above Geneva, the Central Tracing Agency is busy linking the information it receives with anxious families from Moscow to Kiev. My name is Yelena Milosic-Leputic and I am the Central Tracing Agency Bureau for the International Armed Conflict in Ukraine. You're, um, you're pretty busy right now. Yes, uh, very busy. And this is because we are trying, while answering the, to the needs and making a response to the needs that come from the families who do not know what had happened to their family members, we are also trying to build from scratch a whole system that will support that provision of answers to the families and also getting people on board that can do the job so that we can be as efficient as possible, but also as humane as possible in provision of those answers to the families. Exchanging news between the families, exchanging news between the prisoners of war, between interned people, and uh, making sure that the families know what had happened to their uh, relative. Are you getting a lot of calls from mothers from Russia and Ukraine right now? Together with our delegations in Kiev and in Moscow, we are receiving thousands of calls from the worried families asking if we have any information that came to our knowledge about the fate and whereabouts of their family members, be it if they are considered to be captured, so being prisoners of war, or otherwise losing contact with them. But not only, because we also have all these families who have left Ukraine that are outside of Ukraine right now and that are also losing contact with each other outside of Ukraine and that are interested to get to know where the family members have moved to and where they have settled now. The Geneva Convention, this is an international armed conflict. The warring parties who have prisoners are obliged to communicate with you. So are you getting the information that you need? Yes. Uh, as soon as we have informed board parties to the conflict that the Central Tracing Agency has dedicated bureau 
uh, to this international armed conflict and that this is the address to which information on the prisoners of war or and other protected persons such as shipwrecked, wounded and sick, civilians that are deprived of their liberty is the place where to send. We have within a day or so started receiving the information from both parties to the conflict. And you, of course, you you take no sides here. A prisoner is a prisoner for whoever they were fighting. Yes, the ICRC and its central tracing agency never take sides. We don't take sides in terms of one party to the conflict or the other, but there is only one case when we do take sides, and that's the affected people by the conflict. So when they need assistance, when they need protection, this is by whom we are standing. So you're on the side of families who need to know where their loved ones are. Exactly. Not only on the side of the families who need to know where their family members are, but also on side of the families who know where the family members are, but they cannot communicate with them. They cannot maintain their family links with them. And this is the services that we are providing as well, together with the national societies, the Red Crosses and Red Crescents of the movement, of the Red Cross, Red Crescent movement, who are also working uh, side by side with us, including the Russian Red Cross, Ukrainian Red Cross, but also the Red Crosses of the neighboring countries to Ukraine, the Polish, the Hungarian, the Slovakian. I don't want to miss any of the, of the important national societies, but also national societies around the world, because uh, both Ukrainian and Russian diaspora is of a considerable size. And even if you are not close to the conflict, the worry for your family member is equally strong, even if you're thousands and thousands of kilometers away from the conflict. And this is how the conflict affects people, even if they are not in the fighting zone itself. Good afternoon. We are here in our data section. Let me just... Yelena kindly shows me around the agency. So, the mailing room. This is the room. Hi, Maxine. All the inquiries, emails, or letters, because people still write letters, no email or letter addressed to us remains unanswered, even if it's to say this is not the place where we are giving answers on food distributions, you have to call uh, that and that number or address uh, your email to this and this place. So, the mailing room. How many inquiries do you get a day? The heart of the tracing agency is the call centre. These are the sections where we are having people who are Ukrainian speakers and Russian speakers because it requires dealing directly with the families. The ICRC doesn't know exactly how many POWs there are in Russia and Ukraine, but it is getting lists from both sides and slowly reconnecting the prisoners of war with their families. In Geneva, Russians and Ukrainians are working side by side. I'm Anastasia Kushleiko. I'm the interim head of the Russian section. How busy are you right now? So when I'm telling them that, well, I'm calling from the ACRC, I'm calling from Geneva, and this is a central tracing agency, I do not have that much news for you, but I know that the person is in the list that we officially received from official sources. As of last week, he was a POW, he was safe and well, it's written there that he's, um, he's healthy, 
it's always, always, always people were so, so grateful and mothers, you know, especially mothers. So what kind of calls does the agency get? Anastasia tells me about one that she found a little unusual. Early April, and we just started to visit. There were first visits were coming. And, you know, of course, people are saying, Mom, I'm well, you know, these kind of messages. That's very, very. And that one was, uh, I'm very well. Do not worry. Please, if there is occasion, bring. can you send me four pairs of socks, two kilos of chocolates? Um, there was something else, you know, the, the, but uh, yes, and, and tea, tea, two, 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 two packs of, uh, and two blocks of cigarettes and two packs of tea. I was like, you know, this is kind of <laughs> the person is is mentally. But the, the interesting part that his sister was living in Switzerland, so she and I was I was in touch with her, so that's why you know we were making the call here. She found the person who would transmit it to his place of detention at the end of the day. So you know, so we got his uh, chocolate. We got the, he got his chocolate, the candies, were, <laughs> you know, bad. I mean, this is also well human. <laughs> But most messages, as Anastasia and her colleagues Pascal and Jana explain, reflect the grief and desperation of being separated and not knowing where a loved one is. Mom, I'm safe. Well, uh, please let me know. In case you would have it by hand, can you give me the phone number of Grandma in Kiev? If I'm released, I will stop by and see her. And he's Russian POW in Ukraine right now. And his grandmother is living in Kiev. 25% of call every day, is, they, are, they are starting or they are finishing by trying, you know. I was talking with a Russian family uh, mother, about uh, her son, 19 years old. She told me that she doesn't have uh, any news, two and a half months. I got a call from a young lady looking for her husband prisoner of war. Her husband was in Mariupol, Azovstal. She told me, can I leave with you some personal information? And I said, yes, with pleasure. If the Red Cross going to see my husband, could you please leave him that today I gave a birth for a child at 12.45, three kilo and six gram. The people working here answering these phones often have their own stories. Pascal is originally from Gabon, Twelve years ago, he moved to Ukraine to study. Now he's a refugee in Switzerland. I came here because also I was running away from war. I came from Ukraine. I went there 12 years ago. I graduated in ecology at State University. It was not easy uh, to leave everything. I left my house, the one I just bought a few months ago. But when you hear bump at four o'clock in the morning, we have to pack everything and uh, just move. Here we have colleagues with many different backgrounds, nationalities. For six months now, the calls, emails and even postcards have been flooding in. For waiting families, Yelena has reassurance. All inquiries are answered, even if there's no news, and all information is kept. This information of the Central Tracing Agency is kept forever. So if you are a grandchild of someone who was in the Second World War, you would be able to find information on your grandfather and understanding when he was captured, how he was captured, where he was held and what had happened to him. 
and this is what is this section doing for the future generations so that we keep that memory as well for the years and decades and centuries to come. And sometimes here in Geneva, the news is good. That, says Pascal, is the best feeling of all. It's uh, very nice to tell them that, yes, we find him, he's alive. He sends you just a small message. He's good, he's alive, and he loves you. Since the war in Ukraine began, the ICRC has received more than 27,000 messages from people looking for missing loved ones. And it's been able to bring news to more than 3,000 families. The Central Tracing Agency of the International Committee of the Red Cross, ICRC, traces the missing and helps detainees and civilians caught in conflict or disaster. But reuniting those separated by war isn't the only work the Red Cross does. People can go missing for all sorts of reasons, and the ICRC is there to help. We work uh, for all the missing and their families in all situations that require a humanitarian response. And you are absolutely right. This is not only in situations of armed conflict. This is also in, situa- in other situations of violence. It's also in situations of natural disasters or in the context of a displacement or, or, or migration. And we do what we do on behalf of the families. We open a tracing request. Uh, upon the request of a family, this is this is really important. And what is really important also to underline is that the suffering is the same. The humanitarian consequences are uh, very similar. They often feel very isolated. The ordeal that they were going through was very similar from Papua New Guinea to Ukraine, from Bosnia to Colombia. Be it if you are the mother of a missing migrant, you know, from Senegal, or the, the, the relative of someone who has gone missing. When we try and put ourselves in the position of having a loved one who's missing, I think most people will immediately go to, oh, it's terrible, the not knowing. But there are other challenges too, aren't there? Administrative ones, livelihood. If you are a woman in many parts of the world and you're husband has gone missing, sometimes you are perhaps can't prove that you're even entitled to live in your own home anymore. Yeah, uh, exactly. And I think it's both psychological consequences and suffering and, and as well as social consequences and indeed also administrative consequences. So but if we start with the psychological suffering, families will not uh, stop searching. They cannot live in general, they really cannot live with this ambiguity. So they are unable to resume a life. So this already has uh, consequences on their daily lives. They will go to extreme solutions in terms of not even finding an answer, but obtaining the slightest small information that could give an indication of where or what has happened to their loved ones. So we see sometimes families who are going to give all their uh, life savings in order to obtain an information. So they are also often at the mercy of ill-intended persons who promise answers and take advantage of them. There are many administrative uh, consequences, and you touched upon uh, one of them. It might be land ownership, 
documents and, and, you know, entitlements that they might not be able to reach, savings in bank accounts that they might not be able to access without, uh, for instance, having a death certificate. And they cannot have a death certificate if there is no knowledge about what has happened to their loved ones. So often they find themselves entirely taken into intricate bureaucratic administrative systems that have, you know, very deep consequences on their lives. You're just back from DRC, and this has been about reuniting children. I was privileged to be part of a family reunification in the Democratic Republic of, uh, of Congo, where we reunited in one operation 83 children age range was from five years old to 19 years old. Some of them had been uh, missing and separated from their families for, you know, up to three or four years. So bringing these children back to their families and being able to attend this family reunification, really, it's like a uh, high. But sometimes uh, it is also bittersweet. We brought back home uh, to their grandmother, two siblings, a brother and a sister, Jason and Esther. They had uh, been uh, separated during a displacement in their village following uh, violence. And they had been missing for a quite long period of time and they were brought to, uh, to their grandmother. There was this very emotional moment where uh, the grandmother arrived and she was screaming in emotions, uh, you know, joy, but she was crying at the same time. And she was saying, I thank God for bringing back my grandchildren, but I'm still crying. Um, they're missing parents. I'd like to report a missing person. My father, there's no sign of him at all. I just thought that he was going to turn up, but he didn't. And then so let's make it very practical. Say, I have somebody who's missing. What should I do? How do I approach you? So, uh, in general, uh, and that's what what is good, you know, um, by having this uh, global network, you can basically approach your nearest Red Cross or Red Crescent office, be it uh, an ICRC office, if you are in a country where the ICRC uh, is present, or your nearest uh, national society, and file a tracing request. There are also ways... Uh, to do that uh, online. For instance, in the context of migration, we have developed this platform that's called Trace the Face, uh, so where families can also post uh, a picture of themselves uh, saying that they're looking for their loved ones. And these are pages uh, that are uh, consulted by migrants and who may be able to say, oh, I have seen your brother or I have seen the person you're looking for. And you keep the inquiries that come to you don't you? So that even if somebody was lost from World War II or Vietnam, a grandchild can still come to you and say, oh, we made an inquiry. Is there any follow-up? That's still possible, isn't it? Yeah, it is still possible. In fact, we still have many, many requests that relates to World War I and World War II. So indeed, uh, this is really something that is very important. We will safeguard this information, it will never vanish once it is with us in the Central Tracing Agency. And there may be uh, developments. So you never know, uh, you know, what 
can provide you a new lead that may end up in providing answers to loved ones. And as I said, in general, families do not stop searching. What we observe is that the need to know even crosses generation. Parents will not have answers. Their children will look for answers and their grandchildren will look for answers. You know, they may have buried that deep down inside of them, but as soon as you open the discussion, you understand how deep uh, the emotion and the pain still is. Mothers, for instance, would say, you know, I cannot believe and accept that there may be someone in this world that has not even sometimes the answer, but that has a piece of information on my son and that I don't know. So really this this need to know is, is very deep. And that brings us to the end of this edition of Inside Geneva. My thanks to Florence Anselmo and to everyone working so hard at the Central Tracing Agency. Join us again next time. I'm Imogen Folks. Thanks for listening. A reminder, you've been listening to Inside Geneva from Swiss Info. You can hear more by going to our website, swissinfo.ch. We explore other key humanitarian challenges too, from the future of the United Nations to the war in Syria, to look at the history behind the Ottawa Convention Against Landmines. And of course, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Imogen Folks. Thank you again for listening. Discover science and innovation in Switzerland with the Swiss Connection podcast. In the current series, we visit CERN and explore what they're up to next in their quest to solve the mysteries of the universe. We uncover groundbreaking discoveries in a Roman archaeological site and get the first glimpse of an exciting supersonic plane powered by hydrogen. From the tiniest particles to the vastness of space, satisfy your scientific curiosity by listening to the Swiss Connection podcast for a mind-expanding experience with Swiss Info. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow or subscribe to get your latest episode on time. Thank you.